right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, <clears throat> we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes. If it gets cut short, it's just because I ran out of energy, but shouldn't be uh, too bad. But uh, giving it a whirl here tonight, and uh, we'll see how far we can get. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we are very thankful again, Lord, just to be here and uh, to come together um, as believers to hear uh, encouraging words from your book, uh, to be uplifted by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to give us that instruction and guidance we need in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Lord, things that change uh, for for the better, things that are real change, things that are uh, not just fake in this world and uh, superficial, but Lord, are ones that please you and honor you and glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to look at this subject matter uh, that we've been discussing, that, Lord, you would just guide and direct and uh, that our uh, thoughts and um, our uh, uh, focus, Lord, would be solely upon you and learning from you this uh, this evening. Pray, Lord, you just be with me and strengthen me that uh, this time would be honoring and pleasing unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> So, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I left off, uh, talking about, uh, this, uh, subject matter of, uh, change, uh, how change works from a scriptural perspective. Um, and, uh, we, we started talking about, uh, a, an account in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19. And if you'll turn there with me in Matthew chapter 19, <clears throat> And we'll take a look here at uh, a couple of verses. And in verse 16, it says, And behold, one came unto him, talking about Jesus Christ, uh, and, excuse me, and said unto him, A good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life... Keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus says, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These, uh, the young man saith unto him, All these things, these things have I, I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give the to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So, um, you know, when we look at uh, the context here of what's going on, and uh, he, he continues talking about it in verse 23, talking about entrance into the kingdom of heaven, uh, there, there are some important uh, principles that we can glean from this. Uh, the, the, the key part that, that we want to look at is where he says specifically, uh, about, uh, why callest me, uh, or why callest thou me good? You know, here's Jesus Christ making a statement. Now, obviously we know Jesus Christ was good. I mean, he was the, the only one. Uh, nobody else in, in this world has, has achieved that. The Bible says there is none that doeth good, no, not one. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, so we understand that concept and what, 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 what Christ is trying to get at here 
is this idea and this mentality of uh, this change that has to take place in a person's life. Now we're gonna we're gonna go over to kind of a bit of a parallel passage in just a minute, but but I I want us to think about what he's talking about here about what is good. I mean, the 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 young ruler said, "What good thing shall I do?" He wanted to know what good thing shall I do. And many times when people start talking about change in their life, and they're starting to talk about uh, making some sort of change that is going to uh, eliminate sin. And that's kind of where we're going here. We're not talking about uh, making a change of uh, location or scenery. We're not talking about making change uh, in a way of, you know, uh, the way we cut our hair or grow our beards or color our hair or whatever it is, you know, style, things of that nature. We're not talking about those type of things. We're talking about change in the sense of we're changing to please God. We're changing to get rid of sin. We're changing to remove sinful behaviors. Uh, we're changing to eliminate uh, sinful thoughts and bring them into captivity. Those are the things that we're talking about. So when we see this passage here, uh, talking about those things that are good, many times people will have a different idea about what they think is good. And it's not God's idea of what is good. So here he is talking about what good thing. He calls him good master. Jesus Christ says, why are you calling me good? And, and, and it's a legitimate question. It's not because Jesus was had sin or anything of that nature, but was the good that he saw that caused him to call Christ good master just superficial? Was it just that the young man saw something, he saw the, the miracles, uh, he saw the healings, he saw demons being cast out, he saw, you know, people getting fed, he saw all these things that he would have considered good works, but yet they were still physical in nature. And many times when people start talking about change in their life, they're going to look at it from the perspective of what is good from either a societal or a physical viewpoint, not God's viewpoint. Again, we take a look at the book of Ephesians, and there's two passages. Uh, there's actually three specific instances he talks about over there. He talks about um, uh, the, the the liar, the thief, uh, being angry, and then he goes into how we speak. But when we start thinking about it, you know, it's good that uh, somebody is not a thief, that they're not robbing, they're not taking catalytic converters off the church bus, they're you know they're not stealing uh, cars, they're not walking out of uh, Walmart with you know baskets of groceries without paying for them, so on and so forth. Um, we would view that if that type of stuff stopped, we would say, well, that's good, but it's only a societal good. It's only a societal good. You know, this has always been one of the the biggest issues when it comes to, um, uh, looking at, um, penal institutions and, uh, um, and crime and corrections. Uh, when, when somebody's put in there for the purpose of punishment, um, you know, there's obviously got to be some follow through with it. But one of the key things that a lot of people are looking for is they're looking for a reformed lifestyle. They're looking for somebody that's going to come out and they're going to say, well, I'm reformed. You know, I used to be a criminal, but now I'm reformed. I don't do that stuff anymore. 
Well, that, that, that's great, and that's great for society, but when it comes to scriptural things, God's not looking for reformation. What he's looking for is he's looking for regeneration. He's looking for transformation. Those are the things that Christ wants to see in our lives. That's the stuff that is, that is spirit driven in this case. And we have to differentiate between what is a, a good righteous change according to scripture and what is a self righteous change. So as an example, let's say, uh, somebody is, uh, a person that is a thief and they're stealing from their company that they work for. And, um, they realize that it's wrong. Uh, people in the office are starting to, uh, get suspicious. The guy says, well, I'm going to stop stealing from the company because it's, uh, you know, to preserve my way of life. So I don't go to jail. And let's say that person's got a family. Well, I want to do it for the purpose of my family. I want to do it for the purpose of my children so that they, you know, grow up with a, a dad that's not in prison or they uh, grow up with a, with, with a mom that is, you know, um, that they, they, she's not constantly on probation or, or having to go through the, those type of things. And people will make, try to make changes and then they will try to justify, well, it's for the benefit of my family. But that again is a superficial thing. It's, it's on the surface level. Because again, what God is wanting us to do is he's wanting us to make a change in us that is spirit driven, that is according to his righteousness, that pleases him, not pleases everyone else around us necessarily. Now, if it is something that pleases God and those that are around are, you know, uh, um, are, are scriptural Christians, then they will be pleased with that because God's pleased. That's the mentality behind this. And and when we start looking at discernment from a scriptural perspective, we have to be able to discern, okay, am I just doing this to stay out of trouble? Am I doing this to preserve uh, uh, my relationships? Or am I doing it because this is what God commands and I want to please Christ? That's the intent. Remember, everything that we do is going to be judged on the intent. And sometimes people, uh, we look at it and we say, well, they're, they're both good intents. Well, they may be good intents, but one's better than the other. One is far better than the other. And we as, as human beings, we have a tendency to do things that are selfish in nature for us. We want to change for us what benefits us not what pleases God. So there has to be, if you will, this change, it has to be satisfactory to God. I mean, Jesus Christ says here, there is none good but one, that is God. So, So right there, Christ sets the standard of what he says is good. What he says is good is God. So if it is not God driven, if it is not spirit-led, if it is not transformed by the blood and the power of his resurrection of Christ, then it may not be good enough. We have to, to, to truly look at it and say it has to be satisfactory to God. That change has to be satisfactory to God. 
not just those that are around. You take somebody that is in a relationship uh, that is having an affair in a marriage. Well, you know, sometimes people are going to say, well, I want that to, uh, you know, I want to make the change because, you know, I'm sorry and so on and so forth. And, and I want to make sure I'm not hurting my spouse anymore. Okay, well, again, that is a good intent from the fleshly perspective, but it should be first and foremost, the affair, the adultery has to stop because it is not pleasing to God. As a matter of fact, it grieves him. As a matter of fact, it is uh, something that, that, that God specifically calls out and says, do not do, as he outlines here. So we, we, we see that there are those things that may be uh, looking good on the surface, but we want to make sure that they are uh, truly good according to God. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> um, and and this, this illustrates uh, the, this point pretty uh, pretty good. It says in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. That's that's a good thing. It's a good thing to desire that people trust Christ as their Savior. Well, well, why is that? Because that's the will of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's, a, you know, that, that's part of the will of God. But in verse 2, he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Well, there's, there's part of the issue. You had a bunch of Pharisees running around acting like that they knew everything, acting like that they were the ones that had the corner on, on, uh, uh, biblical standards. Uh, those that were running around, you know, talking about, uh, how good they were compared to sinners and publicans. But the idea behind it was, is that it was a shallow show. It, it didn't actually have any depth to it because it was not spirit driven. And we'll see that in just a second, uh, when we take a look at the, the case of, uh, of, uh, um, of, um, Nicodemus. But, uh, uh, what we see here in verse three though is he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's the standard. That's the standard. Because a lot of times people will try to make the change of just stop doing something. Well, just stopping doing something isn't going, I mean, that's doing it halfway. Maybe not even halfway. Maybe it's a third. Because there's a lot more that has to be done in that regards. And we'll take a look at that when we start taking a look at uh, four steps uh, for, for, for real true change. You know, it involves, uh, if you will, teaching and education, understanding, knowledge, learning. It, it involves conviction, and it involves a correction, and it involves continued training. Otherwise, what we refer to sometimes as discipleship. Uh, that's one thing that's always kind of bugged me is, is that you, you, sometimes people get these programs and they, they're like, well, we're going to do a discipleship program. Okay, I get it. I understand what those are about. They're trying to give them some good foundational things. But discipleship program doesn't stop when you graduate the discipleship program. Discipleship continues as long as you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Your discipleship continues. Your training continues. 
you don't stop learning. You're continued to, to, to be used of God, and it requires being a very, very, very diligent servant that is, if you will, willing to receive the things of Christ, willing to receive the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the key parts of discipleship that also involves discipline. You have to be disciplined to do stuff. I don't care whatever thing a person learns. Let's say they decide to pick up a new hobby. Let's say they decide to pick up fly fishing. Well, that requires discipline. Uh, You you decide to pick up, uh, you know, target shooting. Requires discipline. Uh, Archery. Discipline. Uh, Swordsmanship. Discipline. Boxing. Discipline. Uh, Even gardening. Discipline. It all requires something. And you have to have, be consistent with it. But we'll get to that in just a minute. But, but what we see here is, is with Israel, Israel's biggest problem was this. They just were not looking for the change that God wanted. They were looking for a change that they wanted. Now, this is one of the biggest parts when it comes to change. So here we are. And let's just put ourselves in, in any position. Here we are, we're going on through, through our Christian life, and the Holy Spirit reveals something to us. And it says, you see that right there? Let's not do that anymore. Conviction. You mean, right there, that was the rebuke? Conviction comes when you go, yeah... Yeah, I see how that's wrong. I see from scripture that that is wrong. I see how that, 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 uh, disappoints, grieves, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I see how that is not pleasing unto God. Um, it, uh, it, it is not what God would have me to do. It is not His will. And hence, it's not His will. I'm not going to do it. So let's say that happens. So when, when, when that occurs, person's going to be saying, well, I need to make this change for myself. I need to make this change for myself. Uh, I'm kind of facing that right now in my own personal life. Um, you know, I had uh, had a doctor's appointment today, got all the 40-something staples removed from my body. Um, and uh, the doctor's talking about all these, if you will, uh, bio goals that he wants me to reach before we start talking about, you know, surgery to, to reroute the plumbing, so to speak. Okay. Just keep it at that. <clears throat> and, uh, he, he, he's, he's talking about these things and, and, uh, is, as far as food goes, um, and, and some changes that I'm going to have to make, you know, essentially he, he, he told me one of the biggest, biggest issues for, uh, some of the things that cause what happened inside of me he says that's popcorn. I mean, who, who who here does not like popcorn? I mean, okay, well, okay, there's just one, one person. It's like saying it's like saying somebody doesn't like chocolate. <laughs> um, but but you, you you get to that <clears throat> excuse me you get to that um, that point where you know popcorn popcorn's a good snack as long as it's not like you know swimming and floating in butter. But, you know, um, but, you know, it's a good, what they say is a healthy snack. 
Yeah, but those little holes get inside you and they just tear you open from one way to another and, and can cause something like this. I'm not saying that's what caused this. But, you know, there, there's some, some changes that I have to make to, to my diet. Now, I look at that and I go, okay, well, I'm going to have to make changes for, for, my, for my health, right? Now, look, I, I'm not eating anything that's sinful. I'm not eating anything that is uh, uh, in, in any way, shape, or form, you know, outside of what God would, would say. Um, but, you know, at the same point in time, I have to actually ask this, well, this isn't my body to begin with. So if I'm going to make a change, even if it's a dietary change, it's got to be done unto the Lord. It's got to be done the right way. Not just for the betterment of my health, but for the glory, honor, and praise of my Savior. Now, that's a different mindset than what we're used to thinking. That's a very different mindset than what we're used to thinking. Because we're, we're, we're used to making changes for ourselves. But as you see here in verse 3 of Romans 10, they were making changes, but they were going about seeking righteousness for themselves. I mean, it says right there, to establish their own righteousness. To establish their own righteousness. And, and here's the issue with that. When they go in about doing that, they did a couple of things. They were ignorant. Now, obviously, the word ignorant, you know, it means uh, you, you don't know. It's You're not familiar with it. But part of it is also you see that that can be just because you don't have knowledge of it. Or some of it could be because it's been ignored. That is the root word of ignorant. So when we think about that for a second, it was very clear that the nation of Israel was not uh, um, unaware of God's standard of righteousness. He gave them laws. He told them exactly what to do. The Pharisees knew those laws. But they were ignoring the source of it. They were ignoring who set the standard. They were ignoring God. So here they are, they're ignoring his righteousness. See, this is how sometimes that standard of change will work. Somebody will say, well, I want to make a change and I'm going to set my standard here. But God's standard is up here. But this is all that they want to achieve. They don't want to go the extra mile. They don't want to go that extra step. They don't want to try to get to that because that may be too hard for them. But again, that's all because they're telling themselves lies. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So you can get there. Let's, let's stop telling ourselves that. Let's start telling ourselves that we can't obtain uh, uh, what God has asked us to obtain. That, that, that we're, we're, we're um, uh, never going to be able to get to a point of where we please God. That's a lie. That is a lie that is, is straight from the devil. You can please God. We can't. We just have to make a choice to do it. We have to make a decision. We have to purpose, and we have to follow through with it. 
So when we look at this here and we, we begin to see what he's talking about, this change, we find that it comes down to the fact that they were unwilling to submit. You know what unwilling to submit means? Rebellious. Stubborn. Uh, um, stiff-necked. As, as scripture calls it. This day and age we call them pig-headed. You know, there's all those, all those fun words that we can sit there and insert. But you realize that rebellion and stubbornness and stiff-necked are sinful behaviors. Rebellion is not condoned by God anywhere in scripture. Stubbornness he calls as, as the sin of witchcraft. I mean, you think about it. You think about how evil some of that witchcraft stuff is. You know, some of it is just, you know, make-believe and show and all that garbage. But there's the real deal stuff. God says you steer clear of that. You don't need that stuff in your life. And when a person begins to go that direction, then they're directly disobeying God. So we have to begin to realize that that real change has got to come with a heart that is desiring it, a heart that is changed. Therefore, when we take a look at change uh, that is going to be godly, it should be from an inward change of the heart. It should be from an inward change of the heart. It, it has to be something that is also achieved by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hence the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Mike Griffey's talking about that in Sunday school, uh, going through those uh, 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 and and the importance of them. Well, you begin to realize how important it is to have those things show up in your life. It's because that shows that the Holy Spirit's working in you. He talked about love this past Sunday. Uh, look, you don't have love? The book of 1 John says there's something wrong with you. Person that doesn't have joy, there's something wrong with that person. I mean, we, we, we go through that and we begin to realize all of those are indicators that the Holy Spirit is working in our life. Have you ever wondered that? Sat down and wondered and thought to yourself, is God really working in me? Is God doing something in me? Well, go through the nine, the nine elements of the fruit. And start asking yourself the question, are those present in my life? If those are present in my life, then God is working in you and through you. There's no reason to doubt it. But if all of a sudden we go, well, I'm not loving the way I'm supposed to. I don't have joy in my life. I don't have any peace. Constantly worrying and fretting and, 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 and afraid. There's no, there's no, uh, 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 you know, there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of meekness. There's a lack of goodness. Well, yeah, then, then there's a problem. There's something wrong that the fruit is not getting where it needs to get. But 
those, when you start taking a look at that, the, the, those, these three things, it has to be from an inward change of the heart if it's going to be godly. It has to be achieved by the Holy Spirit if it's going to be godly. And it has to be entirely acceptable to God in order to be godly. And just think about the word godly. Godly change means that it has to have him at the center. He has to approve it. He has to be uh, accepting of that. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto who? God. Not man. God. A lot of people go out there and they study to show themselves approved unto man. Look at how much I know about the Bible. Look at how much, you know, uh, uh, scriptural background I've got. And look at all this. And look at my degrees. And look at this. And look at that. And blah, blah, blah. And it's all, it's all show. It's all man. But to study shows how thy shelf approved unto God means that you're truly seeking God in scripture and his will and his doctrines and what he wants. Study has a requirement. You ever study for for a test maybe sometime when you were in school and it was one of those ones where uh, you realized there was a test that morning and you quickly sat down and flipped through the book and, 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 and let out the little prayer, oh God, please rem- help me remember what I forgot? It's a terrifying way to study. It's a terrifying way to study. I tell you, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't meet God's acceptability level. It never will. When the test comes, and tests will come in this life, when they come, guess what? God expects you to know the answer. If you don't know the answer, He expects you to find the answer. And He expects you to know where to go to the, for the answer. Him, his word. There's that expectation that's there. So when we start talking about what's acceptable and what is, um, uh, uh, and who it's acceptable to, it has to be acceptable to God. Go over to the book of John, John chapter 3. <clears throat> I want to show you something here. Keeping, keeping that vein of thought. Here's Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3. And it says in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So, let's get this straight. This guy has some power and some authority. And on top of that, he's also a Pharisee, so he knows the law. He knows Scripture. And it says, the same man came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. So now he's acknowledging what the Pharisees know. And he says, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So obviously right now at this point in time, in in John chapter 3, they're acknowledging, okay, uh, there's some miracles that have been done that they can't explain except God. Only God. So they know that Jesus Christ has a connection with God. And, 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 and I like how Christ just cuts through all of that. 
and gets to the heart of the issue. In verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you know what he's doing? He's going right for the question that was at the heart of Nicodemus. How do I get that? How do I get that relationship? How do I have that connection with God? And he he makes it very clear. He says there has to be a change. Now this is salvation passage, okay? And I I totally get that. But, but, But bear with me here when we start talking about change. Because I will tell you this. No salvation that is done by man will preserve a person's life for eternity. Man cannot obtain salvation without the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Period. That has to happen or there is no change. There is no change. There's going to be some people that are going to go out there and what are they going to do? They're going to change. They're going to look like a Christian for a little while and then guess what? They're not going to to to, to really truly have it. They're not going to be saved. Again, as I said, one of the greatest books that illustrates that is uh, John Bunyan's uh, biography of how he uh, actually at one point in time, in order to achieve what he thought would be joy and peace in his life, in order to get to that point, he went about and he actually, uh, if you will, uh, mimed or mimicked, if you, if you want to use those words, what a Christian is. He had so many people fooled, and he knew in his heart he had not trusted Christ. But he could play the part. He could play the role. He could say the right thing. He could do the right thing. And he had accolades of men. But he was, he was as unregenerate as the drunk laying in the street. He was as unregenerate as the atheist that rejected God. He was unregenerate. There was no change. And here what God is very clearly saying is he's saying in this passage, except, meaning there is no other acceptable way to, 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 to get to the kingdom except this one way, and that is to be born again. A change. A change. Nicodemus in verse 4 said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second, uh, enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Saying first and foremost, you gotta actually be physically born. But there's a spiritual change. So he starts getting to the point of where he's differentiating between the physical and the spiritual. Because this was an issue that we see from Romans chapter 10. They had an issue with the physical and the spiritual. Christians have an issue with the physical and the spiritual. We have a hard time discerning what is physical and what is spiritual. And what we see here is he's pointing this out. Nicodemus is having a hard time grasping this concept because, again, he's thinking Physical. He's thinking physical. 
And he says in verse, uh, um, verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you make a fleshly change in your life, guess what's going to happen? The exact same thing that's going to happen to your flesh falls apart. Falls apart. I'm sitting up here on a stool right now uh, because my body has partially fallen apart. Well, been gutted like a fish, but you know, bodies bodies fail. Bodies are frail. Bodies will will will, will uh, deceive you. They'll say you can do it, and then the body goes, "No, you can't." What did Christ say? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the same situation here. This is what we've got. He's pointing out and he's saying, look, if you, you know, again, if a person wants salvation of the flesh, it's going to end the same way all flesh is going to end. If somebody wants real, true change, then it has to be spirit-led. Why? Because God is a spirit. And he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. There has to be a spiritual change for salvation. So the same thing is true when we start looking at a, a change in our in our lives as Christians. He says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And if you bear with me, and I again, understanding the context, if you bear with me with this, you're thinking about this change, the same thing is true when we are looking for a change in our life scripturally. Why would we marvel that the best way to make a change is to have it spirit-led? Why is it such a surprise to us that we sit there and we try in the flesh 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 and then we try the spirit and then it's like, oh, hey, wait, that worked. It's like, wait. And Christ is saying this to Nicodemus. He's like, marvel not. This really isn't that big of a, you know, if you will, pill to swallow here, Nicodemus. It's fairly simple. In verse 8, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell when it's come, whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Saying that there is going to be a noticeable change. There is going to be a noticeable change. The wind is, is currently outside blowing. And if you look outside, you see the, what, how do we know the wind is blowing? The leaves are moving. The trees are moving. Step outside, you feel the breeze. Can't see it, but you know it's there. The same thing is true with the Spirit. The Spirit is going to have an effect. You're going to see it. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. You will see it in your life. And Nicodemus, in verse 9, is still having a hard time grasping this. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? I like that response. You realize that there's a couple of places that, that God uses that with other individuals? I mean, how many times does he say to the church at Corinth, what, know ye not? Uh, what does he say over there to uh, in the book of Hebrews where, where God says, uh, you guys should be teachers by now, but you're not. You're still babes. Still have to feed you with milk because you can't stand the meat. Something's wrong. But here he is, he's saying you should know these things. These are scriptural principles that, that, that obviously predate anything in the Pauline epistles. You find them in the book of Psalms, you find them in the book of Proverbs, you find them all the way back in the book of Genesis. You find these things that talk about change, that it, 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 is, it is spiritual in nature. Uh, if there is no spirit involved in it, then there is no change. There is no change. And, he, and we think about this, then that means that we have to have the Spirit involved. We have to have Him present. And that means that we have to be listening. We have to be able to discern the Word of God. We have to discern between our voices and His voice and the voice of man. So this means that change, as I, when we initially started this, change is not easy. Ethiopian changing his skin and a leopard changing his spots. Can it be done? Well, it will be difficult. But again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we understand that concept. We understand that, that, that it has to be involved in the Spirit. The other thing that we have to understand is if it's going to involve the Spirit, then it must involve Scripture. It must involve Scripture. You cannot have a real change in your life if the Word of God is not used. If you use Freud or any other psychologist or psychiatrist or, or whatever, Therapist, guru, counselor, I don't care what you want to call them. It's not going to work. It'll be a flash in the pan. Might last for a bit, but in the end, it doesn't please God, which is what we're going for. Which is what we're going for. Turn to 2 Timothy, and I'll, I'll illustrate this. 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter three. And he gives a commission to Timothy here. In verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Well, who taught this to you? That from, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, we go over to the book of First John, and we find out very clearly that the, 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 the teacher is the Holy Spirit. And what we find in verse 16 is he uses the Scripture 
to make that change. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There's that word good again. But it's good according to the standard of Scripture. It's good according to the standard of God. It's good according to the Holy Spirit. Not according to man's. So we find two characteristics of Scripture here that really, truly are important when it comes to change. And the first one is that, uh, as we saw there, is it's able to make one wise unto salvation. Verse 15. It's able to make one wise unto salvation. The Word of God will clearly show you where your standing is without Christ. Your righteousness is its filthy rags. Clearly shows, clearly identifies. But what we find is that, 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 that Scripture is able to make one wise. Change is going to involve wisdom. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right way and a wrong way to change the oil filter on a car. There's a right way and a wrong way to change a tire. How many of us have driven past those uh, people that uh, with the right way and the wrong way to change a tire on the side of I-5? And you see that the jack has collapsed. And they got to get a tow truck, lift it up, put the wheel back on. Because why? Well, they didn't have a secure enough jack. They didn't know how what they were doing. They torqued on it the wrong way. Those jacks aren't the most stable things in the world. Got to be careful with them. We see there's right ways and wrong ways to do stuff. But in order to have true change, uh, we have to use the characteristic of Scripture, which is wisdom. It's wisdom. And then we have to understand the second part of this is that it's profitable. Now, we're not talking about profit in the form of uh, financial gain, prosperity, or any of that. What we're talking about is the profitability unto God. We're talking about how God makes you uh, uh, yield fruit in your life. Brother Rick Trazas was talking about that the other day. Talking about some some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Not everybody's going to produce the same fruit, but a tree that produces fruit is profitable. A tree that doesn't produce fruit, well, you got to dig it and dung it, and if it doesn't work, cut it down. And then throw it in the fire. So it's very clear that there's things that have to be done a certain way, but it becomes profitable. This is one of the main characteristics that we realize with Scripture. Wisdom and profit go hand in hand. Fool, as the adage go, fool and his money are soon, uh, you know, soon separated, soon departed. We take a look at the same uh, same uh, situation here. A person that is a fool is not going to have any profit in their life. Now, again, let's be clear: we're not talking about profit for our benefit. We're talking about us as a tree yielding fruit for the glory and purpose of God. The tree does not yield fruit 
for its own self. It yields to give. That's profitability. It's one of the biggest things that they talk about with these nonprofit organizations. Uh, and they start, you know, they rank them and say, well, you know, how much of your, if you were to give $1, how much of that $1 actually goes to the cause that you're trying to support? And some, some it's ridiculous if you take a look at it. The administrative costs that run things and do things. You give, uh, you give a dollar towards something and the end result is, uh, that, uh, quote unquote charitable organization actually only gives 10 cents to those that need it. The other 90 cents is to run the foundation. So they, they, they rank them. They look at their, their books. They try to, to try to see that, how they're going to do it. But when it comes to yielding the fruit of the Spirit, it's 100% given to someone else. It's 100% given to someone else when we are yielding it in our life. And it's profitable. And it goes through those things that, that it's profitable for. Uh, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. These are all things that you know, are, are necessary for for that change to take place. Um, you know, people obviously are going to first have to 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 hear hear the gospel, hear the um, the instruction of the word of God. You got to hear it. Got to hear it. Somebody that's not willing to listen is not. It will never be saved. They just won't. Same thing is true when it comes to change. If we're not willing to listen to the Word of God and we're not willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, we're not willing to listen to what the uh, what uh, what the, the Bible tells us to do and what God tells us to do, uh, we're not going to have the change. Just not going to happen. So we begin to realize that you know people must first hear. Uh, then they have to believe, and they have to obey. They have to obey. I mean, that's the way the gospel works. The Bible says that we have to obey the gospel. Now, it's not works. It's not, you know, jump onto that bandwagon. But he, he talks about those that have obeyed and those that have not obeyed the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not willing to obey that, salvation will be far from you. It's that simple. So we start looking at that and we begin to realize the same thing is true when it comes to anything with change. Next thing that we also have to kind of realize with these characteristics, uh, the two characteristics of wisdom and profitability, is that believers, uh, uh, they, they, they must change those sinful ways to righteous ways. And we see that very clearly in verse 17. Man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Not bad works, not sinful works, not wicked works, Good works. That lines up right over there with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. This is that we are, 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 are ordained unto good works. The ordination of salvation is this. You trust Christ as your Savior, guess what? God has an expectation that you're going to do good. His good. Not social good. 
A lot of people run around doing social gospel. And they'd rather hand out a bowl of soup than tell somebody that they need a savior. Now look, I understand that that bowl of soup may be important and, and, and that, that works. I mean, it works great over in Greece when all those refugees were coming from, uh, those Islamic countries that were getting war torn. They fled over to Greece. And the Muslims over there, unless you subscribed to their doctrine of jihadism, they did not let you in and they did not help you. But a young man, he would come along and, and if he said, oh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, subscribe to that and I will one day be a martyr, they'd help him and they'd help his family. If he said, well, no, I don't think I'm going to do that, they didn't help him. So guess who was there with a bowl of soup? Baptist churches. Giving them to Muslims. But here's the interesting thing. In order to get the bowl of soup, they had to sit through a gospel presentation. Amen. Amen. And they sat. And you know what they became? They became more concerned about their souls than soup. Why? Because Esau clearly shows us soup is not profitable. The soul is. And I understand that. But some people are so concerned with helping homeless, fixing drug problems, fighting crime, stopping abortion, getting, get, getting all of that stuff taken care of. But look, none of that's going to change unless Christ is involved. A criminal is not going to change unless Jesus Christ gets into that person's heart and shows them and convicts them of their sin and they trust Christ as their Savior and they come out of that jail truly trusting Him and they make a change and say, I will no longer do that sinful behavior. I will now only do that which is good according to God. There's real change. That's what we need to fix our crime problem, our drug problem, our prostitution and human trafficking problems, our gambling problems and our alcohol abuse problems and our homelessness and everything else. We need Jesus Christ. End of story. End of story. Social programs, they're going to go the way that every other social program will ever go. It'll go the way that this world will eventually go. Up in smoke. So we see that there's, there, there, there's, a, there's a pattern that God's setting here. And I want to close with this. We find that, that it becomes important when it comes to this scriptural pattern, biblical pattern of change, that number one, the spirit is involved, and number two, the, the scripture is involved. The scripture, scripture has the wisdom and the profitability that comes through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That is what's going to make the real change occur. Everything that we see in scripture points to that. The change that comes through God and God alone. And next week we'll kind of start introducing it to the four steps. 
talking about teaching, talking about conviction, talking about correction, and talking about discipleship. And look, yeah, it's a process. You want real change, you're going to have to make some changes. It's the way it is. You, You want sin out of your life? All right. Then let's learn what's righteous. Let's learn what's the right thing to do. And let's be convicted of sin as exceeding sinful and hate it the way God hates it. And guess what? There will start being change. Then the correction comes in, and what happens? Because we're willing to be taught what is righteous, we're willing to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, that correction is going to come in, and we're going to start correcting the course. But then we got to maintain it. we got to keep at it. It's not going to be a simple, let's just take a pill and call it good. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. And we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But I think I'm out of steam. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time, Lord. I just, I thank you again for your word and what it does and how it really, truly shapes us. And uh, Lord, if we're just willing to listen and we're willing to yield to you, we're willing to submit that there will be a change in our life, Lord, that will please you and be acceptable. Lord, I pray that if uh, any of us here are going through that part, that, Lord, we would truly understand these things. And, Lord, and maybe we're not in a serious season of change, but maybe there's something that we need to give to someone else. Maybe there's something that we're going to need further down the line. But, Lord, I just pray that we would retain what we've learned today. Thank you again for those that are here. Pray, Lord, you take us home safely tonight. All this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.